Hey friends, it's Cody and Carrie, and we are so excited to be with you in your church today. And uh, I know we're in a crazy time right now where we're all having to isolate and uh, be in our homes. But what I think is amazing is that the church is alive and well, and Jesus is alive and uh, nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop us. And thank God for technology that we can come together and worship together uh, in our homes even, which I think is a beautiful thing that we're meeting with God in our homes all around the world. And so we're just excited to be a part and and worship with you today. And, um, you know, there's been so many scriptures that we've really been clinging to in this time. And, And one specifically for me is Romans 8 just talking about nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Mm -hmm. in a time like this, I'm so thankful that you can take so many things away from us, but you can't take away the presence of God, the love of God that fills our homes, that fills our hearts, that that leads us, that guides us. And so Romans 8 says this, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. That is a good promise that we can cling to today. Jesus is alive. The church is alive and well. And uh, so let's worship Jesus together. I invite you right where you are in your home just to stand up and let's just sing and worship Jesus together today. Bye. 
Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in sing it again. And oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified. In me, and oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. We exalt you, Jesus. We're created. Suddenly articulate With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then from north to south and east to west We'd hear Christ be magnified I won't bow 
it puts me in the fire Well, I'll rejoice cause you're there too I won't be for my feelings I'll hold fast to what is true And if the cross brings transformation Then I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just a doorway Into resurrection life And if I join you in your suffering Then I'll join you when you rise And when you return in glory With all the angels and the saints My heart will still be singing My song will be the same No, I won't bow to idols I'll stand strong and worship you And if it puts me in the fire Well, I'll rejoice cause you're there too I won't be formed by feelings I'll hold fast to what is true And if the cross brings transformation Then I'll be crucified with you Cause death is just the doorway Into resurrection life And if I join you in your suffering Then I'll join you when you rise And when you return in glory With all the angels and the saints Yes, my heart will still be singing My song will be the same Oh, Christ be magnified Let His praise arise Christ be magnified in me Oh Christ be magnified the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me Hallelujah Thank you Jesus
We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. Amen. Well, here we are, church, uh, together uh, in a virtual way once again. And uh, I know as you um, struggle through um, being isolated and social distancing, um, uh, that it's not easy. Uh, as an extrovert, it's been really hard uh, to not be together with people. But I've so enjoyed my family and my time with the Lord, and I pray that that's true for you as well. I want to start today and get into our series um, called uh, Journey to the Cross. And so it's Good Friday. Good Friday is a time where we remember um, the death uh, of Jesus Christ. It's, it's like a holiday to us as Christians, a spiritual holiday where we um, uh, just celebrate. I, I don't know if that's the right word since it's a funeral, but uh, I hope that by the end of our time, you'll see that it's not just suffering that Jesus did and surrendering himself to God's will, but it's also uh, sacrificing himself and, and for us to then be sons and daughters of the king. Um, so I hope that you'll see uh, through uh, the book of John and turn over to John 19 now as we start in. Um, and it's Good Friday and we're remembering the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. And we grieve uh, the pain and loss of our perfect teacher and our faithful friend, Jesus Christ. And as we grieve uh, Jesus Christ's death um, tonight, uh, we feel the weight of our own sin. And so we're going to take communion together. I have a little cup of juice and a little cracker here. Um, if you haven't had an opportunity, you can pause the video and you can uh, just uh, go get some supplies. Uh, I don't care. Anything to drink and anything to eat uh, will be fine. Uh, I'm not going to be picky about it, but uh, we do want to remember Jesus Christ's blood and body uh, tonight together and as a family. So hopefully you'll have an opportunity to teach your kids. Again, if you have to stop the video to do that. Um, and we, we pray that everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ would participate in this. But don't participate if you're, uh, you know, not, not in a good spot with God. Hold on that. Wait till you can confess your sin. Um, and again, we all know that we can confess our sin immediately 
and be in the presence of the Lord immediately, and the Holy Spirit can fill us. So um, tonight, we're going to celebrate communion together, and as we look at John 19, where Jesus is on trial before Pilate, who is trying to release him because he's not guilty, um, we see that Jesus is, um, you know, being persecuted. Um, Really, the three things I want to uh, show you here uh, is that he's uh, not only being persecuted, but he is being badly mistreated, he is being falsely accused, and he is being wrongly judged. And so let's just start with that. Let's read the passage and see it from the text. Um, First thing, he's being badly mistreated. Jesus was badly mistreated that day when he died for you and me. So then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. So he's beaten. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him and sang, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with his hands. Now, you would never hit um, your president or your king, and uh, it's just really weird, and and it's a lot of mistreatment. And Pilate, uh, watching over it all, went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, being mocked and mistreated badly. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said, Take him yourself and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. So let's just stop right there. I think you can see it in the text clearly. He's been badly mistreated. And uh, maybe you've been treated poorly at times. Um, I know at times I've been treated poorly and I've treated people poorly. And uh, I think that's a good thing for us to repent of. But let's just remember that Jesus was perfect. We're sinners, but Jesus was perfect and yet badly mistreated. And so, uh, you know, take that as the first thing. Jesus was badly mistreated. Second thing, Jesus was falsely accused. See it from the text, uh, continuing there in verse 6. He says he's not guilty. In verse 7 he says... The Jews answered him, John nine verse uh, John nineteen verse seven. The Jews answered him, "We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God." Underline that he has made himself the Son of God. Did Jesus have to make himself the Son of God? No, he was the Son of God, and so this is a false, false accusation against him. Um, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. I think he probably started being afraid when his wife um, told him about a dream and said, leave this righteous man alone. But here, when they said this, it confirmed what she had already said. And he was like, oh man, this is about jealousy. They're just falsely accusing him. And he knew that, I believe. And so he was even more afraid of the situation he was in. He entered into his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus didn't revile when he was reviled, and he kept silent. I love that about Jesus. What a great example for us. So Pilate said to him, will, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me unless it was given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, verse 12, 
Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Underline that. Makes himself a king. Did Jesus make himself a king or was he a king? I think we all know that Jesus was the king of kings and he was the king of the Jews. We'll see that later in the passage. But he's not making himself a king. He is a king. And so, again, they're falsely accusing him. And I would just say to you again, have you ever been falsely accused? I mean, sometimes we're accused correctly, and sometimes we're accused falsely, and um, you know, because we're sinners, again. But Jesus was perfect. There was no guilt in him, and yet he was falsely accused. I'm starting to ask myself, why was he badly mistreated? Why was he falsely accused? And this third thing, why was he wrongly judged? If he was a perfect man, if he was so good, why all of this judgment? being wrongly judged. Look at verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat him at the judgment seat. There it is, at the place called the stone pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. So now Pilate is going, hey, 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 hey. He's not just a man, he's your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. What a lie. We have no king but Caesar. They didn't think that. (laughs) They didn't want Caesar to be their king anyway. What a sellout. What a wrong judgment of who Jesus is. And now Pilate judging him and putting him, condemning him to death. And the religious leaders, the spiritual people of the day, (laughs) wrongly judging who Jesus is. Now, maybe you've been falsely accused. Maybe you've been badly mistreated. Maybe you've been wrongly judged at, at school. Kids. Maybe you've done that to others at work, in your neighborhood, maybe in your own family. That cuts really deep, I know. Maybe, maybe with your friends, people turn their back on you. And, and yet, why? But why? If Jesus wasn't guilty, why did he take such poor treatment on that Friday um, where he was judged? I got to say, it's because of our sin. It's because of sin, yes, not his sin, but my sin. And his cross, when he died on the cross, he took the place for my sin. And every uh, one day, we'll all stand in judgment. One day, the judge, the one judge, the one that can rightly judge us, will stand before us and he will judge us correctly. And it will be because of our own sin. It's not his sin. It's our sin. And he took away our sin by dying on the cross. Now I want you to see this, that uh, John spends 16 verses on Jesus' mistreatment, his suffering, but the majority of his time he focuses on 
not the sin and suffering, but he focuses on uh, Jesus Christ. He wants to bring your attention to the purpose of why he's written this letter. So I want you to turn over to chapter 20 and just look at the purpose of the book. Verse 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the purpose I wrote the book, guys. And so I'm not going to take more time about his suffering. The other Gospels will do that. But I'm going to take time about Jesus Christ, the central figure in the story, and I'm going to tell you why he is Messiah, why he is the Son of God. So he's going to focus on Jesus, and here it is. He's going to focus on five key details of the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus Christ. So five key details. This is evidence that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the very Messiah that we've all been waiting for. He came to rescue us. So here's the first thing. Jesus' name was on display. Write it down. Jesus' name displayed. Jesus' name displayed for all to see, setting the table for his resurrection. See, here's what it says in in chapter uh, 19, verse 17. So they took Jesus and they went out, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And they crucified him with two others, one on either side. Why was he in the middle? And Jesus between them. Why was he in the middle? Because Jesus is the focal point. Jesus is, ev- is the one everyone wants to kill. Jesus is the one everyone wants to curse. But Jesus is the one that is on display and his name on display for you. So Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. See, when people were crucified, they would carry their own cross, but they would also have this placard that would say why they were accused. And, and Pilate, in a way, kind of getting back at the Jews, even though they made him crucify him, he's getting at, back at the Jews, and he's, he's saying, hey, 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 I know who this guy really is, and he's trying to dig on him. And many of the Jews read this inscription. See how God's sovereignty spreads the gospel, even in the suffering of Jesus? For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek, so everybody could read it. So the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And I just want to say this to you. What he had written, God chose him to write. So you see the sovereignty of God and you see Jesus' name on display, that he is the king of the Jews, he is the risen king, and this name, he would have been naked on a cross, hanging there. Shame, rejection, all of this on the day that he suffered. But you know what? In a couple days, he's going to raise from the dead, and all the people that were there are going to hear about it. And when they hear about it, they're going to be like, truly this man was the king of the Jews, just like the centurion said in one of the other gospels. The second detail, five key details, evidence that Jesus Christ is the Messiah uh, on this Good Friday. So Jesus' name displayed. Here's the second thing. Jesus' clothes divided. Jesus' clothes divided, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy 
proving that he was the suffering Messiah. Jesus is not only the risen king, but he's the suffering Messiah. And see it in scripture, verse uh, 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts, because there's four soldiers. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, because it won't be worth anything, right? But cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, this is Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Go look at it. Psalm 22 is a great psalm, a messianic psalm about Jesus. You can go read that. You can also go read Luke 24 where Jesus opens the eyes of the disciples through prophecy, through the Old Testament psalms and prophets to show them that he was truly the Messiah. Was he using this passage? Maybe so. Maybe he was like, remember this when I was on the cross? Remember this? When, when these guys divided my clothes, they took my turban, they took my sandals, they took my undergarment, and they, the undergarment was woven in one piece. They weren't going to split it. It wouldn't be worth anything, so they cast lots. And then they, they took his outer garment, and they took his belt, and they split it up in four ways. Hey, you get the turban, you get the sandals, you get the outer garment, you get the, the, the belt or the sash. But who's going to get this, his underwear? Sorry, kids. But that's it. Like, who's going to get his undergarment? And uh, good evidence says that it was probably a priestly undergarment. Very precious. And they cast lots. So here's what the verse says. They divided my garments, Psalm 22, 18, among them. And for my clothes, they cast lots. Kids, you can have confidence in the gospel. Adults. This is the word of God. So many years prior, the psalmist saying this was going to be true, and now it's come true. And John is writing this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the suffering servant. This uh, third thing, Jesus' mission finished. Jesus', Jesus mission finished. He says, it is finished, bringing hope to everyone. He accomplishes the mission that he set out to do. See it here. In verse 25, so the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, probably Salome, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, whom he cast eight demons out of. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, Standing nearby, he said to, one, uh, to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. See, Jesus was fulfilling his duty as a son. He was saying, Hey, mom, I want to take care of you. And my brothers and sisters aren't here. They're up in Galilee. But hey, this is my brother, the nearest relative to us. And he'll take care of you, mom. I'm going to fulfill my duty. Even on the cross in great suffering, Jesus was, he was being a son. And not only that, he was being the son of God. Here it is. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished. He, was, he knew. He was in complete control. Said, 
to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. That's from Psalm 69. You can go read that as well. It's another uh, psalm that is very prophetic and, and messianic. A jar full of sour wine stood there. Probably the, uh, the drink of the, of the officers that were crucifying him. So they put on a sponge full of sour wine. Uh-uh. They put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch. That's very key. A hyssop branch would have been used to put blood on the doorpost. So even the Passover is being referenced here. And he held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, everybody would have known what this meant. A slave would have known what this meant because they would say to their master, hey, I'm finished with my job. A priest would have known what this meant because when the, the animals were going to come in and, and be sacrificed, they would say like, that's a spotless lamb. Yes, that'll do. <laughs> And then merchants, when they were making transactions, they would have known. They would have said at the end, paid in full. Yes, you've paid for it. And Jesus said that. It is finished. I have paid for your sin. If that doesn't get you excited tonight, I don't know what will. And so I just want to encourage you so much that Jesus, being in full control, said, it's done. I've paid. It's finished. Paid in full. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The work was done for you and for me. Jesus' mission was finished. That's the third detail that will build your faith. And he is God's son accomplishing God's mission. Kids, do you know John 3.16? <laughs> for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Hey kids, hey adults, with childlike faith, have you ever truly looked at the Son of God and said, you are the payment for my sin. You are the hope of my life. And I confess my sin and I embrace you. I believe in you as my Lord and Savior. I pray that even tonight, that would be you. And this would be the day when you met Jesus Christ and embraced him as your Lord and Savior. Let's continue on in our passage. There's two more. Jesus' body unbroken. This is key. Jesus' body unbroken, it's defining moment. It's defining his victory. Because if they break his legs now, after he's died, he has no control, right? But God's in control. If they break his legs right now, he can't be the Messiah. Because the Messiah's legs were not broken. And we know this from Scripture. And so... Um, this is his defining moment so that we may believe that Jesus is the spotless lamb of God. And this was about three o'clock when he died. And that's about the time that the lambs were offered at the temple on the day of preparation before the Passover. And there's so many things I also want to say to you about all these connections. You have to go study it yourself and dig in. But I'm telling you, it's so exciting to see Jesus' body unbroken. <laughs> Here it is. Since it was the day of preparation... And so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews, the leaders, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and on the other who had been crucified with him. 
They were commanded to break the legs of these three men. But look at this. And when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. And not only that, they didn't break his legs. Guess what they did do? Here it is. (laughs) But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. This is so important. You're going to see it in scripture in just a second. He's going to quote scripture and he's going to say his side was pierced. And here's the thing. It's gruesome. I know, kids, it's gruesome. Stick with me. But, but hey, it's okay to, to know that Jesus Christ really loves you enough to die for you in a gruesome death. But here's what this, uh, uh, John says. Just listen to this. Verse 35. You have it circled, highlighted in your Bible. He who saw, John, he who saw it has borne witness His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you may believe. John's like, I was there. I'm telling the truth. I saw this. You can't believe it. It's just like Scripture said, and in Luke 24, Jesus opens the eyes of the disciples and said, just like this, and John's like, I was there. That's exactly how it happened. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled, Not one of his bones were broken. I mean, that's not just written in scripture once, twice, but three times. Exodus 12, 46, Numbers 9, 12, and Psalm 34, 20. All say that he wouldn't have broken bones. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And it says that in two places, Zechariah 12, 10, and in Revelation at the end in chapter 1, verse 7. This is scripture This is prophecy fulfilled. This is a defining moment. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to come to communion. I want to confess to you something. As a pastor, I've often said, his body broken for you. His blood poured out for you. And I want to recant that statement because even though they've broken the bread and they've passed it around many times before this communion time, in the scriptures, it says this. It says, his body given for you. His body given for you. His body was offered up. It was given over for you. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ, he takes away the sin of the world. I don't know if that means anything to you, but so many times we look at it as a covering. The blood of Christ covers my sin. That's Old Testament theology. The blood of bulls and goats would cover the sin of a person for a year. But you know what? Not anymore. If we believe in Jesus Christ, he takes away our sin. He's given up his body for us. Not a bone was broken and his blood was poured out for us. So now just prepare your heart and just know this defining victory in an unbroken body, even after he'd given up his spirit, God in control. This last thing, and you got to see this. This is so amazing. And I hope it encourages you and me to be devoted to Jesus. Jesus' disciples devoted, costing them seemingly everything honestly it didn't cost him anything because salvation's free and following jesus christ his yoke is easy even though it seems hard at times so here let me read it for you this is the burial of jesus and see who comes out of the woodwork uh verse 38 just a few more minutes after these things joseph of arimathea arimathea is about 20 miles north and west of jerusalem 
who was a disciple of Jesus. You see that? He was a follower of Jesus. But secretly, John 12, 41 through 43, talks about those guys were secretly following Jesus because of the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might have, that he might take away the body of Jesus. Do you know that in asking Pilate to do that, he put himself out there and he was on display. There's so much more. And Pilate gave him permission so that he came and took away the body. Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus? We've studied John. He's in chapter three. He's in chapter seven. Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. I mean, this was not just like a fly-by-night operation. These guys had a tomb ready. These guys had spices and, 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 and 75 pounds. This wasn't just like, a, um, you know, a quick job. This was, they did this on purpose. So here it is. He took the body of Jesus, verse 40. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths and with the spices as it is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in that place there was a, uh, where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a tomb in which no one had ever been yet laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. He's what you need to know about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They were secret disciples of Jesus Christ. They planned to take care of Jesus Christ when he died. Uh, Nicodemus, a studier of the word, would have known. Jesus said, when, when, when the Son of Man is lifted up, like Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be worse. And then you'll know. <laughs> and he knew. And here's the thing. They took him down off the cross. They buried him. And, and they want, this is the day of preparation. Now just get this, people. These guys had to give up Passover because they touched a dead body. They had to give up this spiritual rite. It's like giving up Easter, right? They're giving up Easter, this religious ritual, this best day of their life, the Super Bowl. Why? Because something better had come. Jesus Christ had died. They didn't need the Passover anymore. The Passover was just pointing them to Jesus. And they somehow knew this by the power of God. And they, uh, they had never been more clean than in this moment when they were carrying this dead body off the cross. They'd never been more clean. They were forgiven and they were following Jesus. So here it is. The disciples of Jesus were devoted. Jesus' disciples devoted. And you know why? Because he's worth following people. We can follow Jesus. So kids, if you're listening, you can follow Jesus. Read the scriptures now more than ever through this COVID crisis. Ask your parents good questions. Parents, sit with your kids and teach them the word. Dads, learn how to rightly divide the word for yourself. If you need help, give me a call. I'd love to help you lead your family in studying the word. Keep the spiritual disciplines together. We're going to take communion in a second. But here's the thing. It cost Jesus his life to save us from our sins. Here's my question to us. What am I willing to devote for my Savior, Jesus? What am I willing to devote? And I want to say these guys put everything, even their own life on the line. Are we willing to devote something to the Lord this Easter season? I know many of us have been fasting. That's, that's a devotion. That's, that's, that's been tough. 
Many of us have been praying for, for certain and specific things. And I pray that God will answer you. Thank you for sacrificing for that. Here's the thing. Are you willing to devote your life? Let me ask you this in closing. Are you forgiven? Because Jesus paid it. It's finished. So you can come to him and say, hey, I, I need to do something. No, you don't need to do anything. He's already done it. It's paid in full. Ask Jesus now to forgive you and take away your sin. Let's do that all today. Hey, I want to pray with you, but get these elements in your hands. Um, this is the blood of Christ. This is the body of Christ, or at least symbols that represent it. Again, we don't want to eat or drink unworthy, but we want to uh, confess. So let me pray, and let's use that as a time of confession. God, we come to you, and we know we're sinners. I am a sinner, but I'm saved by your grace. Thank you, God. I could recount so many sins in my life. Pornography is one. Pride is another. There's so many sins in my life. Um, how I use my mouth. Um, just different thoughts that I have. And then going long in a message. <laughs> Not being self-disciplined. All of these things, God, I confess to you. And I know all of these people are joining me now through video, confessing their own sins to you, Lord, because we want to be forgiven and clean. And God, you know, the cool thing is you've taught us through Jesus Christ, we are. When we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, thank you for Jesus Christ and the saving working on the cross. Hey, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, you might just take some time as a family to confess your sins to one another. And then, dads, lead your families. His body, not broken, but given for us. This do in remembrance of Jesus Christ. His blood, precious blood of Jesus Christ, spilled for us. So that we might not just be covered in his blood, but so that our sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west. Can I get a shout? Hallelujah. Um, this stew, his blood poured out for us to stew in remembrance of him. Loved ones, thank you for so much for bearing with me in the scriptures. That's two messages we just covered from the book of John. And I hope it was so powerful for you. And I pray that you might even go back, dads and, and families or friends, and, and just study these things and, and even say, what did we learn? Um, you just need to know this. The word is sharp, powerful, quick. It will change your life. And I long for you to know that and to apply it to your life because you are loved.